Welcome to the Table of Perspective, where we take a deeper look into how the internal narrative of an individual determines the response to life itself and all it entails. Today, I am your host, Bula, and I'll be talking about a very, very special author by the name of Michael Morpurgo, and he's a, an award-winning author of the book War Horse. So I'll be going more into the book that he had written that I personally own, which is Born to Run, and... Um, perhaps go straight into uh, some of the information behind the how the author came about writing and more information on what he ended up doing but we'll do that right after the first song so please do enjoy yeah hey yeah i wanna see revival in the streets got my bible play for keeps hear no evil see no evil while i speak for nothing i don't move for nothing it's only true for nothing brand new Like a chopper, homie. On the block, word of God, like a chopper, homie. Testimony for the gangster and the thugs. Overflowing with my cup, thanking for the blood. Met the plug, and I ain't never been higher. Not the drugs, Holy Ghost got me wired. Out the fire, yeah, I made it out alive. New me, out the casket, I've been revived. 24K shine, man, I've been refined. Tell my bros, get right before the end of time. There's one way I'm breaking every idol. every idol. Repenting for America. I wanna see revival. I wanna see revival in the streets. Got my Bible play for keeps. Hear no evil, see no evil while I speak. For nothing. I don't move. For nothing. It's only truth. For nothing. Brand new. But I practice the recital Oil in my lamp, man, the flesh suicidal I don't need the titles, but call me his disciple Lost my mind, on a cross, not a soccer Carry my cross, man, I follow him daily Ride for the hood, but the hood never saved me A cheater, a liar, the Lord, he forgave me In love with the money, like the money really made me I was loco, smiling in the photos Deep inside all the pain, hibernating like an oso Yeah, I was drowning in the alcohol 11 years sober now that, that, I wanna see revival in the streets Got my Bible play for keeps Hear no evil, see no evil while I speak For nothing, I don't move For nothing, it's only truth For nothing, brand new Michael, or who is Sir Michael Andrew Bridgemore Pogo? Um, he is an English author and poet, as well as playwright and libertist, who is known best for children's novels such as War Horse. He was born on the 5th of October 1943, and he's currently aged 79 years. 
His spouse is Claire Moporgo and he has um, three children, Sebastian, Rosalind and Horatio. Um, what specifically does actually come to mind when I think of Michael's writing is he, he writes m mainly historical fiction, adventure and real life based no novels. A lot of this information is, is really enjoyable in the way that he writes and I'll actually go into a bit of the book itself. Um, but he specifically has this way of writing that sort of brings you into want to understand more about the story. So the book that I'll be covering today, which is Born to Run by Michael Mopogo, and it covers a fictional story about a dog who has many incredible and fascinating lives. His three lives comprise being a pet, a greyhound racer, and finally a mental and physical supporter. He starts off as best mate to a boy named Patrick, and best mate becomes the dog's name. Um, so what a little bit more about what happens to uh, the dog itself is it says that he falls in love with the littlest one. So this is the the boy in the story, a beautiful fawn puppy he calls Bestmate. And after a protracted battle with his parents, he's allowed to take Bestmate home. Patrick, which is the boy's name, and Bestmate become inseparable until one do day the dog is stolen by a greyhound trainer where he begins a new life as a racing champion. And so what I was saying earlier about the way that um, Michael really writes uh, in an exceptional ways, because a lot of his books are for children specifically, but he, he leads the story on that when I had first read this book, actually, I think I was about maybe 13 years old. And in all honesty, I'm in, in all honesty, I'm not really a, um, an avid reader. It's probably because I find that reading is challenging when I get bored. So I, that is why I specifically like reading non-fictional books because the information in it I can apply in my life. So I keep reading something that I have to keep applying. Um, and that's why when it comes to fiction, it's a little bit more challenging if the author itself or themselves doesn't write in such a way that it encourages me to keep reading. But this specific book, I absolutely couldn't put down. And just as one of the... Um, the critics had written on the back of the book, uh, well, Daily Mail specifically said, Pitch per perfect. Even this hardened book reviewer kept having to wipe tears away. And I can attest to that. I definitely do remember not being able to put the book down, number one. And number two, having to constantly wipe tears away. And my eyes were completely red as I walked out my room. I remember my mom saying, what happened? Because it was a real mess. Um... The book itself has an exceptional storyline. It is quite heart-wrenching in a sense, but that I think really keeps you reading on. And it's interesting because Michael began uh, writing at the age of 30, 31 and he had written It Never Rains, another famous book which he wrote is Friends or Foe. And he wrote that in 1977. It took him about six months to write it. He has written 130 books in total. Nearly all of them were written in Devon, where he lives. So I'm going to read from page 88 and 89. And this just goes into a little bit of the kind of writing that he did uh, in the specific book. So the, the main characters here that they're covering here is, is Craig, which is a stepfather to a child by the name of Becky. Um, and... What has basically happened is the child has two dogs. One, one's name is Alfie and the other one's name is Bright Eyes. And um, you'll kind of see the, the interaction that happens here. So Craig would usually talk with the driver for a minute or two. Becky had never really seen his face properly. Most of it was hidden by a flat cap. 
He wore, he wore dirty blue overalls and shuffled rather than walked over the, to the kennels. Every time the chosen dog was hauled out of his kennel, Becky could see that he understood what was going to happen to him because he'd fight against it, pulling on his chain, desperately trying to break free. The other dogs seemed to sense it too. They'd, sent, they'd set up a plantative chorus of yelping and whining that lasted long after the Land Rover had disappeared up the track. Becky asked her mother again and again where the dogs were being taken to and who the man in the dirty blue overalls was. Her mother couldn't say much about it and that was what was so worrying for Becky. All her mother would tell her was that once the greyhound racing days were over, he was taken off to Animal Rescue Center and from there they went to good homes where they'd be well looked after. But then often she'd say something or add something that Becky never was able to believe. Craig's very generous, she'd tell her. He gives the rescue center a big donation every time they take a dog away. He's good like that. You just don't see that side of him. You never have. You mustn't worry so much. But Becky did worry because she was quite sure by now that Craig didn't have a generous bone in his body. That her mother seemed completely blind to how Craig really was. How he felt about his dogs and how ruthless he was with them. To Becky, who had spent so much time with the greyhounds, it was all utterly heartless and cruel and an outrage. Every time she had to watch them being dragged away like that, just because they couldn't longer win races, made her hate Craig even more. He never warned her when it was going to happen, nor which of them was going to be taken off to battle the next day. But so she never had the chance to say goodbye to them properly. She dreaded that one day Alfie might stop winning, might just get too old for it or might injure himself and then he'd be taken away too. She knew that one day it was going to happen and it was just a question of time. Bright Eyes was younger of the course. Maybe he had a longer future, but futures always ended the same way. It was something her mother said to her one evening when they were all alone that changed Becky's mind about going along with them to the races. You handle the dogs so much better than I do, Becky. She said, they know you better. They like you better. I've watched you with them. They run like the wind when you're around. They always win more. I know they do. And besides, she, said, she went on, it'll make Craig happy to see you take on more of an interest. And I like it too, to have you there. I mean, you'd be company for me. Becky thought, it for, thought about it for a long time. Craig was always entering bright eyes for more and more races these days, trying him out, testing him, always with Alfie. Becky hated watching them being driven off in the van. She missed them when they were gone. It was that more than anything that had changed her mind. She wanted to be with them all she could. And if her mother was right, maybe she could help Alfie and the others run faster and keep winning. That was enough for Becky. She'd go, she'd ignore Craig and just pretend that he wasn't there. So something about uh, the, these dogs specifically that, that Michael had written. Eventually, Alfie did get injured and he had been taken away in the Land Rover, as was mentioned. Um, they would specifically take the, the dogs away. And unfortunately, they were not taken to good homes and they were not cared for. So later on, Becky goes and runs away from home with bright eyes. Um, and it's quite an unfortunate end. Again, what's interesting about Michael's writing is he he doesn't always leave you with a rainbow at the end of the tunnel, um, which is, is interesting for a children's book, but I feel like it in some way does encourage you to look more for, for hope in certain things, and it does relate a lot to life, which is probably why um, Michael is quite a famous writer.
some information about Michael that is quite interesting that I found is that not only was he a, an author, but after graduating from university, Michael became a primary school teacher in Kent. He writes all of his books in exercise books and he doesn't even work on a desk. Instead, he sits on his bed propped up with pillows. And what I find quite funny about that is not only was he able to interact with, it, with students and children, um, which is probably what inspired his writing quite a lot, but he, he was also able to kind of get on their level and understand their way of thinking. He often says that it is the child inside him or his child version that he tries to impress with the books and not so much for the sake of writing books for writing's sake. Um, he was actually diagnosed with laryngeal cancer in 2017 and received radiotherapy, but he has since recovered. And the interesting thing that I did find about um, Michael is his core beliefs, which is obviously the thing that usually intrigues me about people uh, when they're writing, is he does actually have a, a history in Christianity. So someone had done a, an interview with him, and this is just a snippet of what was said. So the interviewer says as follows, In a letter you wrote to Claire, his wife, after you got engaged, you spoke of doing our utmost to fulfill our vocation, where you had got the sense that something was ought to be done with your life. And he had said as follows, uh, I think that it came from my mother's side, really. She came from a family of very strong Christian socialists. They were great friends with George Bernard Shaw. Her mother was deeply Christian, a follower of Jesus in every way, and her father was a preacher. When you went to their house, there, was, uh, there were Piero della Francesca pictures of risen Christ in the dining room, and you said grace before every meal. My mother had disgraced herself, quote-unquote, in the sense that she had divorced my father just after the war. My stepfather had appeared on the scene, and my father came back from the war only to find his wife, if you like, occupied. I hardly knew my father. I'd probably only met him on a couple of occasions. But she still had not left her upbringing behind her, and I'm quite sure she passed on to me this feeling that you are on this earth to do something useful with your life, to make a difference if you can. Being frivolous is not what life is about. And I found that quite inspiring because it's very rare these days to see people who actually have purpose. And it is unfortunate that you, you find this quite commonly um, because living for living's sake and dying for dying's sake really isn't very encouraging at all. I believe that it was a, a preacher by the name of John Berman that said that we need to mind in the beginning what needs what is most important at the end. Um, and I find that that ties in quite well with as an author who deals with some, I guess, fictional writing, even in the, the realm of the imagination, there is a point behind things. We don't just draw or do art or be part of a field of expertise or try out new endeavors for their sake. We must really be quite cautious and quite mindful about what we're doing and saying because all of it does matter at the end. Um, so minding in the beginning what matters at the end is quite a phenomenal way of putting things into perspective. Um, and we're going to go into our second song, but just after that we will close off with some of the information of what he had done in his teenagehood. So please do enjoy.
is all that matters All that I need, I don't have to search no more All that I need, yeah, yeah You are everything I need, I need her so much more I need her so much more, yeah I need her so much more, yeah, yeah I need her so much more, You are my only But I got me. I put my confidence in him now. One time I'm a little matter for Jesus. Our daddy no go fi fail us. Daddy wait on talk say he's finished. Oh, he no get you waiting fi break us. You're done in any weather. You hold me down forever. Who love is your agenda? Who I'm in love with Abba. So I go hold you forever. I go chase you forever. about in his teenage years and so the interviewer had asked this question you were quite a devout as a teenager i believe but my impression is that now you're not that impressed with organized religion but you have a sense of providence or perhaps maybe it's just fate and you have also some regard for jesus as a person is that correct and he uh, he answers the question as follows I have more than just a regard for Jesus. I see him as one of the wisest people that ever lived. I don't actually care too much for the miraculous side of the Christian story. I love stories, mind you, but it's the genius of the man, really, I suppose. His understanding of human nature that seems to be so persuasive. And for me as a Christian, I personally understand that, um, obviously, as God being the creator, he knows he, the creation extremely well and intimately. He understands the emotion and the the the, the feedback or the, the core of those things most best. Um, and when we actually place that into his hands, we are able to then better understand ourselves. And um, Michael goes on to speak in the in the interview, um, talking about how he was very connected to church architecture and music. Um, and all of that, and he finds it a, a, a wonderful guide to living, and he has a hope of eternal life. Um, but he says that 
the more he gets older, the more he wants to understand it, but he finds it difficult. Michael goes on in the interview by saying that what he supposes he's saying is that he's an aspiring believer. He always has been. When he met someone of faith, provided that they're not bigoted, he's very envious. He admires the fact that they have arrived at a kind of clarity of thinking that he doesn't seem he's able to obtain. And he feels a lot of guilt about that. And uh, more specifically, I'd li just like to clarify on that as I close, is that yes, organized religion is very damaging because it is not meant to be used in that manner. Uh, when people use the things of God, the things of or the power and deity of God to control people, it is very damaging. But we understand that when we follow the Great Commission, when we actually have a, an, a relationship with God and we have the opportunity of that by salvation and restoration by the blood of Jesus, then it is not an organized religion. It is actually interaction with the Creator. But the more we try to make God do what we want and, and we try to have an idea of God um, that suits our um, initiative or way of life, that is when we find there is an organized system that we make create and live out and have those same expectations on others um, so really getting into the word and understanding um, what it is why it is that your life why you're here minding what matters in the beginning for really what matters at the end um, and coming to that understanding we can see that there's a lot more clarity and purpose behind that so that is all from me I hope that you enjoy this and perhaps give Michael's books a read I highly advise Born to Run it is more for a younger um, audience but it is definitely something that will uh, be of great encouragement and an enjoyment to read. So have a great day, evening, afternoon, and um, we will speak to you then again. Cheers. Radio has never been better, baby. This is Active FM. Go to www.activefm.co.za for more.